Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us to, to work you out on our own, but you've given us your word. You've revealed yourself to us. And I pray, Lord, that as I share, you'd reveal something more of yourself to us, that you'd show us something that we haven't seen before, and familiar scriptures that many of us have heard, Lord. I pray that there'd, there'd be a newness, there'd be a freshness, there'd be something that we haven't seen in these scriptures, Lord. I pray that you'd anoint me, pray that you'd help me as your humble servant just to share your word. Amen. So, as I said, I'm going to be summarizing the Sermon on the Mount series. And if you haven't been here, can I please encourage you to download them? Um, due to time constraints, obviously I can't recap everything. But the bottom line is this with the Sermon on the Mount. is Jesus has been raising the bar in terms of the right level of righteousness that God requires from us. He's saying to his audience, you think you're okay because you haven't actually physically murdered someone. But I tell you that if you're angry with someone, it's just as bad as murder. He's saying you think you're okay because... You haven't committed the actual act of adultery, but I say to you, if you lust after someone, it's just as bad. And he's doing this for two reasons, well, many reasons, the two that I can clearly see, is that he's highlighting, and and I think this is the most important reason, is he's showing us how desperately we need a savior. That actually, he shows us that we are spiritually bankrupt, that in our own strength, we would never be able to meet the perfection that God requires. Um. And this was the very reason why Jesus came to die. But he doesn't just leave us as Christians in that. He also gives us practical handles as to how we should live out our Christian lives in terms of how we treat others, how we judge. Um, let your yes be no and your, your sorry, <laughs> definitely not let your yes be yes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, so he also gives us practical handles. But obviously for the sake of time, I, I can't go through all of those. I'm going to be sharing on Matthew 7, verse 12 to tw- from verse 12 to 29. And it's a really big chunk of scripture. I'm not going to go through all 17 verses in one shot, but I'm going to kind of go through them in little bits and pieces and then show how they all kind of link together. So can we get Matthew 7, 12? On the top of your Bible there, it probably says the golden rule. And it says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, most religions love this golden rule. They say it is the fundamental thread through all religions. And while it's a helpful principle, and it's, and it's a great litmus test as to, to where we are spiritually, it's, it's not going to reconcile you to God, and it's definitely not going to save you. And it's not the foundation of Christianity. And we can go through a whole bunch of examples of reversing the roles. So um, a tender one in our family is the way I drive. So I've got to um, – so when I'm driving, I think, okay, how would – if I was wanting a gap, how would I let the other person have a gap? If I, so we reverse the roles. Um, what, are some other, what about gossiping? I mean, if I'm going to gossip about other people, um, would I like it if they gossiped about me? And we can go through example after example, and it is a great principle. I agree with it. Try to live by it, but it's not going to change your heart. Um, you see, we, if we had to talk about that principle and go through all these examples, two things will probably happen. We would... Probably walk out of here feeling really bad. Oh my word, now I'm going to have to be nice to everyone. Um, and we think, oh, this is flipping hard work. Or we'd leave here with the most selfish motives and intentions. So we're like, oh, I'm going to be nice to everyone because actually I'm going to get something nice back. It's not changing the heart. And you're doing it not because of the intrinsic value of the person, but because you want something out of it. So what can we do to change our hearts? And that, those are the exciting parables that follow. 
Um, because as we've seen with, with Sermon on the Mount, behavior modification and living by a pr- bunch of principles, it's not going to change our hearts. And a changed heart is what God is after. Because if he gets your heart, he gets your behavior. And if he gets your heart, he gets all of you. So let's get into these heart parables. So Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. Some versions, I know the NIV says the road is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way or the road that is hard that leads to life, and those are few that find it. Have you ever been at a dinner party? And, hey, there's a buzz happening. People are talking, there's laughing, there's honing on, there's, there's a real vibe in the room. And then you say something, and the whole crowd goes quiet. Yeah, I can hear some giggles. It's obviously happened. Because although everyone was, there was a vibe, and there was buzz, and there was talking, and there was carrying on, although they weren't actively listening to what you said, what you said was so controversial that it just got everyone's attention. What did you just say? This is one of those statements, because there seems to be this belief today that all religions are the same, all roads are the same, they all fundamentally teach the same things. It's the same destination at the end of the day. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. Like, whatever works for you, you decide what path works for you. There's almost like this um, theory of relativity that seems to have crept into the uh, a spiritual thinking where... What's true for you may not necessarily be true for me. So, and what's true for me may not be true for you. And what, 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 And we go around in circles with this thing. Um, there's no real or right answers when it comes to matters of religion. Now, I find this amazing that we can apply it to the spiritual realm, but we can't apply it to our everyday life. Do you see? No matter. I mean, if we ha- we won't apply it to our everyday life because no matter how sincerely I believe two plus two is five, it's not. <laughs> I can sincerely believe 2 plus 2 is 5, and I can write books about it and YouTube videos and TED Talks and all these things. But I'm sincere, but I'm sincerely wrong. Or what about driving on the road? Um, imagine if we all had to determine what's right for us, how we drive. So, um, Brendan, whatever's good for you, you, you decide what, road, what side of the road you want to drive on. Yeah, no problem, man. If it works for you, yeah, great. You drive on whatever side. You drive on the left, I'll drive. What do you think is going to happen? Kaboom. So we accept this all roads lead to one. Well, hopefully, well, yeah. There's this thinking that all roads lead to one in the spiritual sense. But in reality, actually, we can see that's clearly not the case. Um, and what Jesus is saying here is contrary to what many believe, there are not many roads leading to one destination. And what Jesus is clearly saying here is there are two roads leading to two destinations. Two roads, two destinations. The one road will lead you to life. And the other road will lead you away from life and truth and to destruction. You are either on the one or the other, but you simply cannot be on both. You are either on the one road leading to truth or the other road leading to away from truth, but there is no middle ground. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you, if you think about it logically, there can't be many roads. One of the many roads out there has to be right. Hitler. Now I've got everyone's attention. <laughs> Believed he had the way. He had a road. Um, and what did he do? I mean, he sacrificed millions of people. Now you're telling me his way will end up in the same destination? Will it? 
Um, so you might say, oh, that's a bit extreme, Shane. Let's be real, yeah, man. All religions lead to the same destination. Okay, let's chat about the religion of the Inca culture or the Capacoa culture, the Mochi culture. They believed in sacrificing their children to appease their angry gods. Are they going to end up in the same destination? That's a religion. Or what about Muti killings here in South Africa where, where, where guys are encouraged to go do horrendous things to get body parts? Will, will, will that end up in the same destination? Or, or Satanism, or the occult, where they drink people's blood. Or, I don't know if you saw that article on News 24 yesterday. Some five-year-old was sacrificed in northern India to the god of power. Sacrificed a little child. That's a religion. Is that going to end up in the same destination? So, now, now maybe you're backtracking. No, 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 not those. But you see, the moment you exclude one, that whole argument that all roads lead to none is now no longer valid. Because it's either all of them... Or it's not. So the moment you exclude one of the roads, that whole argument is no longer valid. And what is Jesus saying here? Let me stick to my notes, sorry. Hitler, the Inca, the Mochi culture, the Satanists, that man in India, they sincerely believed they were doing the right thing. They really did. They sincerely did. So we can't even rely on sincerity, the sincerity of our hearts or our good hearts our good intentions as a measure. So what can we rely on? And Jesus will answer this in the, in, the, in the parables that follow. But let's let's just chat about those two roads. The one road um, is hard, and the other road is easy. So what's with this hard road? Does this mean that in order to be a Christian and get life, I have to be a really, really good person? I've got to try really hard. I've got to conform to this moral code, and I've got to bite my knuckles and grit my teeth and oh, this is so hard, but it's a hard road that I'm on. Um, and hopefully I'll make the grade because doesn't that what the hard road means? Doesn't it mean oh, this thing is going to be hard? Eh? Hey, but man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try really hard and maybe God will accept me. Maybe, just maybe, if I try really, really hard, I can work my way into heaven. I, I don't think that's what it means. Um, because as we've seen over the last few weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, the bar is so high that we'll never actually be good enough. Because no matter how hard we try, we're kind of never going to reach there. I like to, this just popped in my head now, like that donkey that's chasing the carrot. You just, you, we're never going to get there. So, so what does it mean? Um, but yes, yes, being a Christian is going to be hard because we are swimming upstream. We, we, we're going to have to fight our sin, and I'm not saying that there's no place for that. It is going to be hard to stand for what's right and to do the right thing. I'm not taking away from that. But um, but there's another element to this hardness, which, which I'll elaborate on shortly. But let's just define what this wide gate thinking is. For, wide, for the gate is wide. What's wide. What is wide gate thinking? You know what wide gate thinking is? It says that in order to be reconciled to God and so enter the gate, the kingdom of God, I've got to be this good person. That's what wide gate thinking is. I've got to conform to this moral code, do a whole bunch of external things. So I stay away from this and stay, woo, slippery. Stay away from that and, uh, and a whole bunch of external things because that's forbidden, that's accepted. That's wide gate thinking. And you know what it says? The scary thing is, is that many people are on it. Those who enter but are many. Because that's how so many people think. You say religion, people think, oh, a bunch of rules, regulations, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. But what is narrow gate? Narrow gate is I realize, oh, Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Not only have I broken God's law, I've also not done the things I know I should be doing. Um, 
narrow-gate thinking is, Lord Jesus, as much as I want to do these things, I want to obey your every command, but I mess up every now and then. I mean, the bar is just so high, I, I can't do it. And I know that if you are a fair and righteous God, there has to be a consequence for my disobedience. There has to be. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a just God. But narrow-gate thinking is I accept that Jesus took my consequence. He paid the price that I should have paid, and he lived the life that I should have lived. That's narrow-gate thinking. Narrow-gate thinking is, is I surrender and I accept what Jesus has done for me on the cross. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people live. That's what he came for. So why is this road hard? Sorry. See, the reason it's hard is because it requires us to humble ourselves and acknowledge our need for a savior. Something of surrendering our will. That is the hardness that it refers to. It's a surrendering of our way of doing things. Um, I remember when I was 13, I went swimming on the beach, on the bluff, where it's rough, so is the sea. Um, and uh, my dear mother will remember this clearly. And uh, there was a strong side wash and the strong back wash, and I could feel, I'm getting myself into trouble here. Yeah? I'm getting myself into trouble. But, um, and I knew that I needed some intervention, but I was just too proud to raise my hand. I thought, no ways. What are the oaks on the shore going to think of me? I thought, no, I'm, I'm this teenager. I'm trying to be a breaker. I'm trying to break into this crowd. If I raise my hand and surrender, what are they going to think? Are they going to laugh at me? Are they going to think I'm, I'm not good enough? Are they, are they going to, because I want, I, I was more con, let me stick to my notes. Um, I was more concerned about what those on the shore would think. Would I be ridiculed, laughed at? I was so worried what others thought that I could not see that help was just a, 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 a raised hand away. Um, I wanted to do it my way. What I thought was right. Um, but eventually I couldn't take it anymore. I was literally going to get let my pride kill me and drown because it was, it was rough on the bluff. Um, I'm from the bluff. No disrespect to anyone from the bluff. I'm bluff roots, so please let's settle that now. Um, I was going to raise my hand and ask for help. It was hard. It was so hard for me. But I raised it and I said, okay, dude, I need help. I need help. I'm going to drown. That's what this is. It's actually Jesus. I need your help. I need your help. I can't do this thing. I need your help. That's the hardness. That's the hardness of surrendering ourselves and saying, I need you. I need you. And it's hard to do that. It's not easy because we think we know what's right. We think that we know what's best for us. I'm going to do it. Frank Sinatra, my way. Um, so that's the hardness. It's a thing of surrendering my way and accepting God's way. Because ultimately, my way, what would have happened? Destruction. Destruction. I would have died. But God's way, <clears throat> there's life there. Um, see, the reason why we don't trust him is we don't know him. Because if we trusted him and if we really knew God, oh, we'd surrender everything to him. Um, so if that's what the hard way is, what? what why is the wide, what is the wide gate? Why is wide gate thinking easy? You know why wide gate thinking is easy? Because if you can choose any way, then you're your own Lord. So if any way works for me, I'm my own Lord. I'm the highest form of authority in my life, and therefore I don't need to submit to any other form of authority because I am the highest form of authority because I did it my way. That is a very dangerous place to be. <laughs> dangerous and stressful. Um, I'm independent. 
I do what I want. I go where I want. Life is easy. It's an easy road, this, because, hey, I determine what's right. It's easy, but where's it going to end up? In, on the easy road, God is not your God. He's your genie. He's your, just kind of rub him. He comes out, gives me three wishes, solves all my problems. And then when every, when, when all my problems are solved, I goes back into his lamp. And then I carry on with life. And then when, when I need him, oh, come fix my problems, come fix my problems. That's not God. That's a commodity. That's Lord. Come, 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 fix my problems. And then, and then, and then go away. That's like an easy road. But the hard road is actually Jesus. Come, come. I want to submit every area of my life to you. That's when he's your God, is when you submit your relationships, your marriage, your friendships, your parenting, the way you do business. Um, he's not a commodity then, because you want him in every area of your life. And yes, there's going to be times where it's going to be hard, and he may ask you to do things you don't want to do. I mean, Abraham did not want to sacrifice Isaac. Moses did not want to go and speak to Pharaoh, and Jesus certainly didn't want to go to the cross. I mean, you sweat blood. That is hectic. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying, he was sweating blood. But they did it. And why did, why did Moses go to Pharaoh? Why did Abraham sacrifice his son? Because God was not their commodity. He wasn't their genie. He was their God. And we could trust him and give him everything. Um, what did they end up with? They ended up with life. That's what the road says. It ends up with life. Okay, let's move on. So, the next parable um, talks about a tree and its fruit. So Jesus is talking. He's getting his audience to think about the road that they're on. And hopefully I've got you thinking now, what road am I on? But then he also warns them about false prophets. And he says, um, by the fruit, you'll know them. Now that's, I mean, when I first came into church circles, I thought, cheap as I'm growing apples out my ears or something. What is fruit? Um, and fruit is really just your life story. What is your life story saying? And what, are the, what is the life story of the people that you are listening to saying? I love what Eugene Peterson in the message says. He says, um, on this particular verse, he says, Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. Who they are. So with the false prophets, who they are will determine whether they're false or not. And um, this is why I, I totally disagree with this statement. I don't come to church, but I watch TV. I watch whatever that channel is, thing, that Christian TV. I disagree with it, because, and there's some really good people on there. I don't have a thing with the people, just the concept of it. Because how will I, how will I see the fruit of their lives? How would I see how they're treating their, 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 their wives, their spouses? What kind of a marriage do they have? How are they raising their kids? What are they doing with their finances? We want to see something of the fruit of the person's life. And I, I'm not against podcasts and YouTube videos and, and, and all those things, but... But just be careful, please. Can I say it in the strongest possible way? Don't think that somebody sprinkles a little bit of um, scripture in there that suddenly it's all Christian. Not everything is Christian. <laughs> Not everything is Christian. That's a bit of a dwarf statement. Not everything with a little bit of scripture sprinkled in it is true Christian because we can take scriptures out of context and form an incorrect doctrine on them. So be careful of the false prophets. Let's move along. Okay. Then Jesus gives us another scripture. And I doesn't think it was another scripture. He's telling a parable, which is a scripture for us, um, that actually shocks those that think that they're on the right path into truth. Now, if you've been dozing off wondering who's kind of kind of win the comrades and whatever, and you find my voice rather irritating, can I just ask you to listen for the next sort of five, ten minutes, because this is huge. Understanding this parable will change your view of Christianity and what it did for me. So let's get into it. So 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now that is a scary, scary scripture if read in isolation. But when we put it into context, oh, we get, yeah, I think it's great. Um, remember, Jesus, he, he's summing up. This, he's coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount now. So he's summing everything up. And the next two parables, I think, will sum up pretty much everything that has gone before. So what, what he's trying to get us to do is to answer this question. Are we embracing a culture of Christianity where everything is about the external and I do stuff and I do uh, things, even in Jesus' name? Or are we embracing Jesus? Or, or put another way, are we embracing something that appears Christian but has no mention of Jesus and the cross. So let's just define those two terms first before we carry on. A culture of Christianity is all about the external. It says, I come to church, home group, prayer meeting, and if I'm really feeling cool, I go to movement night. Yeah, I can talk the talk. I appear even on the outside to be walking the walk. I mean, I'm a moral person. I keep most of God's rules, and I'm not half as bad as this friend of mine. So kind of, I'm okay. I'm cool. I'm cool. Because I do all these things, God must accept me. I mean, I must be okay because I do all these things. I cast out demons. I do mighty works. And so God will definitely accept me. I mean, look what I've done. See, a culture of Christianity is based on this key phrase, mighty works. It's there somewhere. There's a lot of scripture. You'll find it there. Um, It's all about what we have to do to be accepted by God. And the reason why I can say that is look at the defense that these people come up with. Look at their closing arguments, if we have to use this kind of courtroom analogy. What do they say? They say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then they list it. It was, their whole case was based on their achievements. What they did, what they didn't do. Even in Jesus' name, even if it was packaged as Christianity, it was still based on what they did, what they did. Their position um, in the church, position in the church, um, even their Christian accomplishments was the basis for why they should get in. But what does Jesus say? Away from me. Why does he say that? Because they never knew him. You know, we can do all these things and not know him. We can come to church, home group, prayer meeting, movement night, do all these, but not know him. To know him. So what does it mean to know him? To know him is to approach him on the basis of what Jesus has done and no other basis. True Christianity is, Lord, I come empty-handed. <laughs> empty-handed, as we saw on the, on the, on the, on the Beatitudes. Um, my resume is shot. I haven't done the things I know I should have done. I don't even want to get on the things that I have done, um, that, were, that I knew were wrong, and I kind of did them anyway. But I accept your cross was the payment for everything I did wrong. And your life was the life that I should have lived but gets credited to me. Um, Let's paint a picture. <clears throat> okay, you're dead. Okay, if you don't know yet, you're going to die. Everyone's going to die. Okay, except Lazarus. But he eventually did die. Um, so you died now. You're dead and you're standing in God's courtroom. Okay? And uh, your whole life is being played before you in a slideshow. Every good deed, boom, the slide comes up. And you think, hey, hey. But then a bad thing pops up. Boom. And you're like, oh. 
And then, so that we go through all the deeds, the good deeds, the bad deeds. But then we get to the thoughts, every, every bad thought. Boom, and you want to, oh my goodness. That, did I think that? Oh my goodness. And every bad intention that you had. Boom, the slideshow comes up. I mean, if, you, if you're like me, I would want to run and hide. Every secret thought, everything that you thought you got away with, every little skeleton in the closet is laid bare, boom, in the courtroom of God. What will your defense be? Remember, you, and you've only got one minute to explain. You've got one minute, that's it. And you can only explain in the end. So you can't even put everything into context. You've got one minute to explain the average life expectancy, 85 years, um, to explain 85 years of slides. One minute. What would you say? I'll, I'll leave you to think about that while we uh, move into the next parable. Because the next parable will determine your answer. So, my favorite Sunday school um, parable, the wise and the foolish builders. Matthew seven twenty four. if you're following in your Bibles. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, notice the doing, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. So for years, I thought this scripture is about keeping all the rules. Okay, you've got to keep all the rules and the regulations, and then bad things will never happen to you. You'll stand, you'll stand all proud and... But remember, Jesus is ending his Sermon on the Mount. Um... And this seems, this is obviously the last parable, so it's safe to assume that he's kind of summarizing everything up. And what he's saying is, actually, you'll never be good enough. You won't be good enough. But there is someone who was good enough. And his name was Jesus. So what does the sand represent? And why are these builders foolish? I mean, that's quite a hectic thing. You foolish. See, the foolish builders foundation is based on the following. Their good works their accomplishments, even their Christian accomplishments done in Jesus' name. What they've done for the kingdom, they preached, they served, they led, they ran a home group, all sand. All sand. None of the above are solid foundations because who can give an answer as to how many good things you have to do to cancel out all the bad things? No one. Because there is no answer. Because God doesn't work like that, because he requires perfection. We can't bargain and say, I've got to do this, 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 and this to counteract that, 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 and that. No, actually, he requires perfection. It's either perfection or nothing. One road or the other. No middle ground. But praise the Lord, Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. Let me stick to my notes. Um, So none of the above are solid foundations, but mighty works will not qualify you. But even more so, what happens if you fall short in any of these areas? So let's assume that these are the basis for your acceptance. What I do, my preaching, my serving, my, my giving, all these things. What happens if you mess up? And now suddenly you maybe lose your voice so you can't preach. Or you, you whatever, you can't serve and, and, and feed the hungry like you used to because perhaps maybe financially you can't do that. Are you now no longer accepted? So the basis for your acceptance was all the things that you do So what happens if you can't do those things anymore? Are you now no longer accepted? So we move from a place of acceptance before God when I'm doing well, and then I perhaps maybe mess up a little bit. Oh, no, now I'm rejected. Oh, 
and I mope around with this heaviness. And then I, I kind of get myself going again. Cool, cool, cool. I'm doing really well. Yeah, baby. Woo, woo, woo. And then I'm, oh, where did that come from? How did I do that? And now I'm rejected again. So we're constantly going from this place of acceptance to rejected. To acceptance to reject. What an emotional roller coaster. And our Christian walk is not meant to be like that. How's it meant to be? There must be a better way. That way is way too stressful. So what is the way? The wise builder builds on a solid foundation. And this would be the one-minute answer that would get you into heaven. When that slideshow is being going boom, 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 the wise builder builds on what Jesus has done for us. His perfect life. His sacrifice. He paid the price that I should have paid, and he lived the perfect life that I should have lived. And that perfect life gets credited to me. Incredible. That's the foundation of the Christian faith. Not rules and regulations, and we have to do this, and we have to do that. Um, The wise builder comes to a point where they realize that any other foundation other than Jesus is sand. Our good works, our moral record, or, or lack thereof of a moral record, all the things are sand, 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 and they won't stand. See, the wise builder gives up trying to prove and strive to get God's approval and accepts an approval that is guaranteed. It can't change. It's an approval based on someone else's performance, the performance of Jesus Christ. And then he gets on with the business of the kingdom. Notice how it says that he does these words. But now it's a total different story because you're doing this from a position of acceptance, not trying to be accepted. So we serve God because we are accepted, not to gain his acceptance. Does that make sense? And then we get on with the kingdom. And we do, and, and now we submit every area of our lives to him. See, they, I wanted to... Oh, there's so much here, but let me move on. Um, I wanted to draw, I wanted to build two little things. My little kids have these little houses here, these cool little houses. I wanted to build one of a rock, on a rock, and then I wanted to build one of sand, and I wanted to take water and pour on it, but logistically it just didn't happen. So I'm giving you the end result. This is a house built on Jesus that is solid and will stand when when the rains come and the winds blow, which I think speaks of judgment. That will stand. It will stand. But when we're building it on our way and our life and what we think is right, it's sand. It's just falling to pieces. <clears throat> because this is the basis for our acceptance. Not that. What a relief. Okay. Let me end. What foundation are you building your life on? What road are you on? Are you on the easy road where you're determining what's right? Or, or are you on the hard road where you have surrendered? And you have said, actually, I can't do this thing. Like me drowning as a 13-year-old, Lord, help, lifesaver, help, save, desperate, me, I need you, please, help. And are you going to surrender? Remember, there's not many roads. You're either on the one road or the other road. You're either going to life or you're going to destruction. Choose your road carefully with consideration. Build on Jesus. Build on Him for your acceptance. Can we stand, please?